Good morning and welcome to another remote episode of The Crownsman Show. During this very difficult time of COVID-19, we continue to keep people connected, informed, and encouraged. This is episode 41, and today we are joined by Cassidy Vander Ross. She is manager of communications and marketing of Nickel Brothers. And today she joins us to discuss the details of major residential and industrial structural moving, heavy lifting and transportation projects. This includes amazing projects in mining, oil and gas and manufacturing. We will also be discussing the culture that Nickel Brothers has developed over generations of family ownership and how Cassidy moved from a contractor to a full-time member of their team. Now, before you continue to watch, can you guess how many buildings Nickel Bros lifts or moves every year? Well, I'll let you think about that. Um, and today we are also sponsored by PowerZone. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone equipment. In addition to their inventory of re rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge and no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. You can visit them at powerzone.com. We are also sponsored by Whipware. Whipware's photo analysis software systems help industries from mining, quarries, aggregate, forestry, agriculture, coal, and explosives remove the need to use manual sieving techniques. Their technologies have saved clients millions in energy costs, maintenance costs, process optimization, quality control, lost time injuries, equipment downtime, and quantitative decisions. And you can find out more at whipware.com. Today, we also have a featured sponsor. This is a, a new kind of sponsors that we've um, added to the Crownsman Show. And today, our featured sponsor is Lampson Crane. And you will get to see a little clip about them now. So the LTL 3000 is a 3000 ton machine. Uh, this is a picture of it at our test facility in Pasco, Washington. It was built specifically for Hitachi um, for their program over in Japan. Obviously, when Fukushima happened um, with the earthquake and the tsunami, that put things on hold over there. So they oh. own the crane. Um, we keep it here at our laydown facility in Pasco in our test yard. Uh, we exercise it for them on a regular basis, quarterly and annually. To find out more, please head over to lampsandcrane.com. Um, again, that's lampsandcrane.com, or you can email them at info at lampsandcrane. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please make sure to subscribe after every episode. I will also be letting you know of other ways you can support The Crownsman Show at the end of every episode. Um, and now to get started on episode 41 with Jared and Cassidy, welcome to the Voice of Industry. Thank you, Cassidy, for coming on. It's, uh, it's a bit of a hectic time, so we do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I think it's cool how we're all kind of adapting to, to make things work remotely. So, Yeah, are you working from home full time now or do you, is it sort of back and forth in the midst of this? No, I've been working from home full time for, I think today's my 14th day actually. Yeah, oh wow! We, yeah, yeah. So we have what, we have you... one person in the office at this point. So they're they're oh, self isolating, my. but in the office. So did um, so did, were you were you quarantined then for coming back from? Uh, did you go down to um, oh, what was the Con Expo? Did your team did no. Nickel Bros Brothers go down there? 
No, we didn't. And we, we ended up being a little bit glad that we didn't end up down there. No, I, um, we just, it was just kind of one of those things where it was starting to become a bigger issue and I can work from home fairly easily. So right. I, yeah. I was asked to work from home a little bit earlier than everyone else. It's good. I think, I think companies actually, a lot of companies took a really good initiative to just kind of get out ahead of it. Um, you know, because it, it was, it wasn't, it was kind of one of these things I actually feel bad almost for those of us who kind of went out ahead of it because now we're going to end up being closed up longer than everybody else. If yeah. people that are hanging on too long and then it's going to extend the whole thing out much further, it kind of just wish everybody had just stopped at once. Hey, I was having a discussion about that a couple of days ago. Yeah. Like, cause some people have shut down and mm -hmm. as everyone else shuts down, they're just going to have to stay that way for yeah. you know, the next few months until everyone's done it for long enough. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit, some consistency would be nice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, everybody's trying, you know, and it's it's just one of those things. Did, um, have you seen it now already with you working from home more and that sort of thing? Have you, is there anything that you think is going to last? I, I asked the, the gentleman on the last episode the same question. Do you, have you seen anything that you've adapted that may stay the same? I think, some members of our team have gotten more comfortable using like instant messaging platforms like yeah. Slack and using the video calls, which is great because like when you have clients that are kind of all over the place, video calls are a great way to be able to meet with them without having mm -hmm. to fly so much. So I, I could see those things um, lasting past kind of the, the um, situation that we're currently in. Um, yeah. But the, the thing that I'm curious about is how many companies now that they're set up remotely are going to stay that way and just get rid of their offices. Like, I'm curious to see how many of them are like, oh, this works and it's less overhead. Let's keep it. Or yeah. scale or scale yeah. them back to. Yeah. 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 I think. Yeah. I would see that it's going to happen. I mean, there was companies like I know TELUS has a lot of employees that work remotely already. And like some of the bigger companies were already doing it because obviously for them to house all that those employees and those offices is a huge expense. So I, I do think we'll probably see smaller companies adapting more, you know, rotating people through office, even for a, an office of nine or 10 people. So you can only have an office for five, but, but actually well, facilitates 10. Yeah, well, and especially now that they've kind of invested in the infrastructure to be able to do it. Yes. It, it almost seems silly for, for some companies, depending on the amount they've invested to, to go back completely, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a big shift. And um, so I, to get in, what is, so Nickel Brothers, I mean, they've been around a long time. I think I saw it like 1956 or, or yes. something. It's, yes, uh, we, they, were, we started in 1956. It was two brothers, um, which were Henry and what was his brother's name? My goodness. I've got it here. I'll try to beat you to it. Thank you. Richard. <laughs> Richard. Yes. <laughs> You should cut that. <laughs> we um, do not. <laughs> oh, believe, oh, believe me, I've had way worse gaffes than that on this show, and we don't cut it. <laughs> oh, dear. No, when, oh, you, dear. When, you go, when you go on camera, it's a different thing, believe me. You're, you're not the yes. only one. Um, so they started back in 1956. Yeah, and it actually, um, I believe it was Henry who was working for a house moving company in Manitoba and they wanted to open a British Columbia branch. So they sent him out here to start it. 
And um, after a while, he ended up just buying out the BC branch and started Nickel Brothers with, with his brother. And oh. that, that was kind of how we got started. And it's, I mean, it's this, I saw in your notes, I mean, there's multi, it's a multi-generation. It's still, is it still the same family that owns it? It's still the same family. Yeah, our CEO is a second generation nickel um, and our ops managers are third generation nickels. And we have a couple of fourth generation nickels now working um, in the shop. They, one of them's like a, a heavy duty mechanic and so oh, it's yeah. kind of cool. They, they've all kind of filtered in, in different, different positions and different ways. Wow. How yeah. is that to, to see kind of that family grow and just keep coming in, you know, cause so many generations. It's one thing that I really like about it is they really do kind of it. There's only a few members of the company that are that are family members still just because we've had so much growth, right? There are a lot of mm -hmm. kind of like outside hires now, um, mm -hmm. but they really do still kind of treat everyone like family. Like we very much have a, a culture of taking care of each other. And um, that's it's it's different to work in than a lot of other places I've worked where it's a little bit more corporate and kind of just everyone does what they're supposed to be doing. Whereas with the family business, you, you're kind of helping each other out wherever you can. Everyone um, kind of has different skill sets so that they can jump in as needed. Um, and, and the work ethic is really there because your leadership team is so invested because it's their name, right? It's, right. it's their name on the company. It's their name on everything they do. And that ends up being really contagious. So there's there's a different, a really heightened sense of accountability and um, kind of pride, pride in what we do and, and how we treat our clients and the results that we produce. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's something interesting actually, I've noticed on the show how many um, companies have have multi-generations um, that have been on the show because statistically a lot of companies actually don't make it to the second and third generations. And, um, but it seems like maybe it's an industrial, uh, in the industrial <laughs> side thing or something, because so many of our companies that have been guests have been, yeah, three, four generations. And um, I noticed that there's two, I wanna get into a little more of the, the side of um, what, what Nickel Brothers offers, because there is a residential side and there's a, the industrial side. But did it start out as residential, as a re residential um, heavy lifting and moving service? It did, yeah. I actually think it's kind of underestimated how many industrial um, movers and how many industrial moving companies started out as house moving and structural moving companies. Um, but yeah, that was how it started. We started um, with the residential moving in BC and then we just kind of branched out because so many of the skills um, transfer so easily. Like you still need all of your engineering. You still need to be aware of your environmental impact. The health and safety has to be there because you're still working with, with huge, huge cargo. Um, you know, some of the houses that we moved are, are larger than a lot of the stuff that our industrial division deals with even. Right. Um, you know, like, like we've moved 10,000 square feet brick mansions. We've moved fully like glass buildings. Right, so things that are really, really delicate and heavy and large. So it just it just kind of makes sense once you've been able to do those things to, to you know, branch out into other sectors that need those same skills. 
Yeah, I, I hope we um, I hope you have some pictures of some of those um, <laughs> residential structures that move because it is it's always fascinated me. I was in I think I was in Toronto one time and they were moving a house like through the city. It was just bizarre <laughs> to see it. <laughs> it's like it doesn't it almost doesn't it almost seems a little surreal that they can even lift these and, and then move it. It's it is amazing. Um, now, moving more, I, I want to go it more into their service offering. We've covered a little bit already, but I, I want to want to kind of paint a clear picture. So, in a nutshell, what is what is Nickel Brothers offering clients now uh, in a full scope? In a full scope, um, so residentially, we offer we have a home recycling program. So basically, if there's a home that's slated for demolition. Rather than it being demolished, we go in, we pick it up, we find it a new family, and we move it to their property. So it's a great way to divert that waste from the landfill, and it's also a great affordable housing option. There's a number mm -hmm. of um, affordable housing organizations that we've partnered with to kind of supply oh. them with houses. Um, and we also lift homes, we skate them. So for instance, there was a home uh, last year that got hit by a mudslide and it got knocked off of its foundation. So we were able to to jack it, and then they they rebuilt the foundation and, and made it safe again, and we just slid it back onto that foundation. Um, and then, you know, as a raise raise job, you can create. We have a lot of people in Vancouver raising their homes so that they can create mm -hmm. secondary suites. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what we do for for the residential division. And then industrially, we we really focus on offering turnkey solutions. So we kind of do everything, right? We do barge transport, we do heavy haul, we do heavy lift, we do jack and slide, we do light industrial and welding. So our goal is always kind of to be able to be that, that full service um, provider where we can pick up the cargo directly from the manufacturer, transport it for you and install it. Um, and and just kind of handle everything right from start to finish. So you have the same crew all the way through. You know that they are aware of your objectives, of your values, of your safety requirements, of your expectations. Um, and there's really not as much standby time either because we're using the same crew, the same equipment. A lot of our transporters are dual purpose. So we are able to, to kind of perform different phases of projects as necessary without having to, to switch between different equipment. And most of our crews are cross-trained. So depending on, on what's needed, they can kind of fill in those different roles. So it's all, it's all very streamlined. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, I was wondering about that um, because um, there, there must be a, like you already said, there's a lot of similarities to the engineering of it, to put it together, to, to, to do a, a heavy lift move, whether it's residential or industrial. Um, would, are there some, uh, some members of your team that work exclusively on one side or do pretty much all of them cross over depending on the need? I would say that all of them cross over at least to an extent, but we definitely have team members where that crossover might only be like one or two projects a year. Um, and they're primarily industrial or primarily residential. And I think the reasoning for that is that, so residential is a lot more, it's faster paced. So when you have an industrial move, you generally have a few months time 
where you're planning how that project is going to go, right? You're doing all of the, the cargo sequencing, you're looking at your trades management, you've, you've got all the engineering and, and you have time to set all of that up. Whereas with the residential moves, sometimes our turnaround time might be, you know, a couple of weeks. So it, the, the pace is different. And right. based on that, the, the skills are different. Industrial, I think, is a little bit more um, detail oriented in terms of having to have everything so precise on paper and, and circulated to anyone else that's working on that project. Whereas residential, it's really just our team having done it so many times that we can we can put it together more quickly. Um, the engineering is still there, you know, all the same the same things are there, um, but it's just it's a different environment to work in, I think. Yeah, you talk and, and these different environments. I mean, you've I mean, how, how, for the reach of Nickel Brothers, I mean, what are we talking? I mean, do they work in in just Canada, U.S., Canada? What, what's sort of their reach? So residentially, we primarily work in BC and Washington. Um, mm -hmm. Industrially, at this point, we have worked on projects that have touched 18 different countries. So we oh, work wow. globally for our industrial division. Our primary operations, like our offices, are in um, the lower mainland in Vancouver. And then we have an office in Vancouver Island, Washington, and Montreal. So we're kind of set up um, in enough places that we're really... We're, we're very well positioned to be able to receive and deliver cargo based on our office locations. Right. I, so in that, it, so if you're operating primarily here and you're doing, and we'll get into some of these projects that you've done, I think I see a couple that were maybe abroad. Um, but it is, are you partnering then with other companies if you're, if you're lifting something out of, out, of, out of Europe and that needs to get here that you'll then transport to a location? Are you partnering up? There are multiple companies that are involved in that, or is Nickel Brothers actually engineering that whole that whole moving system? It really depends on the project. So we um, like we we have cases where we're doing a lot of the engineering even abroad, and we're doing a lot of the logistics and the project management. But we do also have a fairly strong network of of kind of partners globally. So if um, you know if if we have kind of multiple things happening in a place it makes sense to send our crew there, we'll do that. Um, but you know, if it's kind of a one-off, we definitely have partners that we can also utilize to kind of accommodate that need. It, it really depends on what's gonna be more cost-effective for the client at the end right. of the day. Yeah. Um, I wanna move into another section here, which is, again, we've sort of touched on it on in, in briefly, but I wanna kind of drill down into more specifics is, um, in those servicing offerings, distinct, distinguishing one service from the other, because obviously you're doing a wide range, but there, there is, you, you specialize in, in multiple sectors and they're very, a very different approach. So like heavy lift, uh, we've got heavy lifting and, and installation, heavy transport, uh, heavy barge transport. Can we start with the heavy lift and installation, sort of breaking down what that offering is? Sure. So um, we're asset based. So our heavy lift division is um, kind of anything that requires, um, you know, crane work, rigging. We have steel erectors, riggers um, on staff. We do engineered lift plans as necessary. Um, so again, like it's it's 
kind of full service and that will provide the engineering and the sequencing and everything for that. Um, but, you know, obviously it's a little bit more um, generally specific to things that need to be on a higher, um, higher floor of a building or tanks if they need to be kind of installed and erected because generally they would be lying down on the trailer. So we mm -hmm. would do like a top and tail and lift it into place um, right. and then, you know, weld it. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, and then, so then you get into the heavy transport side. And, and of course, when you do a heavy lift installation, that might include a segment of heavy transport because you've got to get the product there. So a lot of times these would yeah. be working together, I would assume, right? Absolutely. And sometimes we end up with a jack and slide in there as well. Like we actually have um, quite a few projects where they need to be lifted and then jacked into place because they're going onto you know, a higher floor of a building. But once it's at that height, there's no room for the crane in the building, right? Because of the, the roof line. Right. So we will, you know, transport it, lift it, and then jack and slide it into the actual install location. So, right. yeah. And then you're also doing, your, and you're also doing heavy barge transport as well. Yeah, heavy barge is kind of what we've specialized in um, for oh. a lot of our our company history. We've, we've definitely branched out at this point, but I would say, um, you know, earlier on heavy barge was really what we were known for. We're one of the mm. only residential movers that offers barge transport in the Pacific oh, Northwest. Okay. Um, and we've, we've actually performed more, um, roll on roll off barge deliveries than any other structural mover in the Pacific Northwest at this point in time. Wow. So we're, yeah. we're very experienced with, with kind of tide management and environmental management in those kinds of scenarios. Right. I, yeah, I saw it. I, I want to make sure I'm reading this right. Resident touches <laughs> about 300 buildings a year. Yeah. On your residential yeah. side, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of moving. Um, and I want to now. Okay, going back into this industrial uh, into the industrial sector, I want to actually highlight uh, a couple of pro projects. Um, oh, actually, there was a question I wanted to ask too, because um, we've had we've had crane companies on before. Um, and there, there's so, so much, uh, there's a lot of specialty in the, in what crane is used for what application or what truck, like this company is like, I, I think actually fairly close to you, K-Line, which is manufacturing the trailers and these, how much of the equipment do you, do you bring in separate equipment or, or does does Nickel Brothers actually have an inventory of equipment to use? Because it would seem like it would almost, <laughs> there's so many different types of equipment. So is it sort of a mix and match? It is, yeah. We like we are asset-based, so we do have an inventory of equipment. Um, mm -hmm. And depending on the need, we kind of move it around to between our locations. Right. Um, but, you know, there are always things um, where if it's like kind of a specialized circumstance, it might not be something that we just have on hand. Um, in which case, you know, we would partner with with someone um, to to accommodate that. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was curious. I was curious. I figured I was thinking if they do all these, and I saw some of the numbers of like you know three hundred homes, twelve thousand tons of materials. You know, thing, all the stuff you move just annually. I thought. I mean, they they must you must have some partnerships that you're working with to be able to facilitate those because there's always going to be something different popping up, right? For sure. And we also we also utilize that network depending on where we are. Like, say we have two really large projects happening in two very different locations. Mm -hmm. 
we'll we'll utilize our partners both for equipment and occasionally for manpower. So it's it's really important to us that we've built those relationships and we know those suppliers very, very well and and can kind of trust them to uphold what our standards are. Right. Um, yeah. The, um, so going into some of these projects now, um, I like to I like to tail off as multiple questions pop into my head. So I'll, I'll try to stay on <laughs> I'll try to stay on the topic outline. Um, but we, you picked out three projects, um, and well, I was glad because you picked them all from three different industries. We've got mining, I think we've got manufacturing, and uh, or an oil and gas project. So let's start with the uh, the West Shore. Uh, project, which was a mining operation, I believe, and just just uh, talk a little bit about what what that project involved. Yeah, so that was the delivery and install of three stacker reclaimers. So they were approximately seven hundred tons. And one thing that was really interesting about that project is is one we had a very short tide window to get everything off of the barge. Um, so we ended up actually using some of the equipment as the counterbalance on the barge to ensure that uh -huh. we could we could meet um, those requirements and also that everything was done in the safest way possible within that tide. Um, and the other thing that was interesting is that the the um, yard stayed operational during that entire process. So we had to move this 700 ton stacker reclaimer over, you know, operational um, Amazing. over operational conveyors and like in in a place where people were still working and and everything was still happening at at normal capacity um so there was a lot of just kind of safety requirements to take into account and different you know fun little little things we had to do engineering wise to make sure that we weren't impacting those operations at all um while still keeping everyone you know safe and and doing things in a way that was um professional and cost efficient Good. You hand you handle uh, a lot of the marketing and communication side for the company. Do you uh, do, do they let you get out to the site still every <laughs> now and then? Yes, yes, they do. Unfortunately, I think yeah, all of the all of the projects that we're talking about today were before my time. Oh, so I didn't get to see any of them. Uh, well, they do three hundred. They here. do three hundred moves. I'm sure th yeah. there's more. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But um, no, I quite often go and I'll take photos or videos and. Yeah, we had we had a move the other day that happened during the day, and it went past a school, so we had three hundred kids come out to watch this moving down the road. It was kind of kind of cool. That cool that, that is pretty cool. Yeah, get it get a few more kids into the industry because it, it, you exactly. know you know there's two or three kids out there that, that every every day for the rest of their life until they're like thirty yeah. they're going to be thinking about it and wanting to do that. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's how I was. I don't know. Um, and going into, uh, I just want to make sure I, the, where is that one? There's another project that you highlighted um, called Catalyst. And I think these projects, are they on your website as well, if people want to check them out? I believe all three of these ones are, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Catalyst, um, wh what was that project about? That was, um, uh that was a power generation project, is that right? It was, yeah. We delivered um, a turbine and um, some other equipment that you know was was necessary to power out that turbine. 
Um, again, I'm not the technical person, so I've, I've got I've got things oh, here. I had like 30 um, questions about how them. that okay. that turbine operated. I don't. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. It was we did we moved four turbine generators, a steam duct, steam duct, and the electrical rooms on the project. So the purpose of the project was so that catalysts could start transforming their waste steam into energy. So that project actually won a um, an award for energy conservation from the Canadian Industry Program, which um, basically kind of looks at projects and judges um, how in line they are with the government's programs um, to to support clean energy and to support kind of greenhouse gas reduction. And it, it was the the winner in two, 2016. So wow. that that was very exciting that we got to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely. And then and then moving on to the um, and then moving on to the oil and gas project. Um, uh, that was uh, H. I'll let you say it because I'm mixing up my notes here. <laughs> it's HPD, HPD. So that was um, we transported a, a few different uh, cargo modules, but one of them, I think probably the largest one was a crystallizer vessel. So we transported that from Underhook at the port of Vancouver um to a barge location and then we moved it by water up the columbia river to a landing location in lewiston idaho and then it was rolled off the barge there and transported by road using the high wide corridor to grand prairie alberta and that project originally started i believe um in either thailand or china was where those those um vessels actually originated so it was um, a lot of logistics and, and planning to get that ready to go. And of course, if, if anybody watching has used the high wide corridor, I think they're aware of um, how much goes into permitting for mm. that, that area. So I think it was that that project was really um, a great way to showcase our, our customs and our permitting department and a kind of a a testament to to how skilled they are at being able to get all of our things approved and, and making sure that we're doing things in in a way that you know we can actually actually get them done at the end of the day it must be yeah and I, I was thinking about this yesterday when i was prepping for your for a company like nickel brothers it must be well for one if you were going to start if, if i was coming in and i was going to start a heavy move and lift company you you'd have to go up against companies like Nickel Brothers who have done these projects because every project you do now proves another set of competencies that you have. And it's just a showcase. And within the industry, it's the industry is probably for the industrial sector is small enough that a lot of people probably know uh, quite, quite quickly who is capable of these lift, I would assume, in this industry. I think that's true. Yeah, I I always kind of talk about um, you know industrial transport as being like a global industry that still kind of has like a small town feel because mm -hmm. everybody knows each other, and your reputation based on that has a lot of weight, right? Because people talk. So if you're not kind of living up to your clients' expectations, that's going to get around very quickly. Um, so in that way, like. I think, I think it's true that the more experience you can have and, and the more you can diversify and kind of prove yourself in those different areas, um, the, the larger your, your available kind of pool of, of clients and, and projects is. Yeah. I was, um, 
You know, and I wanted to, that, that kind of dovetails nicely into the next section, which is about leadership. And a, and a company, there, there's two kinds of, um, well, there's multiple kinds, but there's two kind of camps that I find a lot of companies will end up in. There, there's the comp companies that they've been around a long time, and that they use as a platform to do things differently, to innovate, um, to to approach the industry different. And there's some companies that um, use it as a, basically a way to stay exactly the same and not have to adapt. Um, and so how do you see, and we'll start with the team side uh, of Nickel Brothers. How have you seen, and you, be working with for them and with them, how have you seen them show leadership in, not just in their industry, but as a company, as a company that's been around a long time? Um, as a company, one thing that I think has been very cool for me to learn about and get more experience in is we actually do a lot of government relations work regarding mm. having more effective waste management policies and um, just kind of more options for ways that companies can cut down on their emissions. And we also um, do a lot of lobbying for affordable housing as well. So we, we really believe that, you know, especially as a family business that's been operating in the same locations for so long that, you know, we're, we're almost like neighbors to our clients, right? Like we live mm -hmm. in the same communities as they do. A lot of them are repeat clients that we've worked with for, you know, 20, 30 years. So it's really important to us that we're not just working with them, but we're also providing something for those communities, trying to make them better, trying to make them more accessible, um, more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, just kind of both financially and and in terms of the environment and also really promoting um, just kind of good, almost almost like good Samaritan-ness, right? Like yep. we, we want the places that we're working with to be better um, because of the example that we're setting. And that's, yeah. that's really ingrained in, all, in our culture that way. Do you, um, you know, I, I saw a note that, you know, uh, going back to that family, we, we did touch on it a bit, but going back to uh, a, a being a family run business and, um, and the, was it actually, was, was it, was there a husband and wife running it originally? And, and did that sort of that culture of sort of, um, if, if I've got that note right, um, <laughs> does, did that, did that, does that change the culture to, I mean, it's no no secret that heavy industry there there's a there or has been um, sort of a good old boys feel to it, um, and and I get the sense at Nickel Brothers that that is not not the case. Um, hopefully, no. you're not going to say no. That absolutely <laughs> is the case. <laughs> no, it, you're right. It was um, so Henry Henry Nickel, um, Mr. and Mrs. Nickel. They worked very closely together when the business started. Um, so like she used to, um, you know, make sandwiches for the crew when they had a move overnight. And, um, I think she was very involved in helping with the safety and, and just kind of the morale and making sure everyone was really taken care of. And, um, you know, she helped with the operations. She was, she was very involved for someone that, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't technically a, a part of the business from maybe in terms of the public, you know, they looking in wouldn't have seen her as the face of the business, but she really was the person that took care of everything. She made sure that everything um, was going to to happen the way we said it was going to happen and that everyone had the resources they need to, needed to do that. Um, and I think that's, that's really come through kind of, 
you know, for, for all of the future generations. We have five departments that have female, female heads, and we have four departments um, of uh, visible minorities that where the leadership of those four departments has, uh, are visible minorities. So it's, it's very inclusive. Um, and I find like, I've worked in construction for a very long time. And I, I genuinely feel like Nickel Brothers is probably the most empowered that I've felt. Um, they're very, the leadership team is very, very approachable. You know, they want to know if something's wrong. They want to know how they could be doing things better. They want to know how their decisions are affecting everyone else. Um, you know, everyone is equally important and everyone's feedback is, is very, very valued. And I think that does come back to it being such a partnership when it started that, you know, we're all still still partners um in that mm -hmm. we all rely on each other and have to take care of each other it, it's funny going back to when you said mrs nickel was uh it's it sounded like she was head of the hr <laughs> department before there was an hr department that, that's yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah you know and it, it's interesting when i hear you know companies that um they're they have diversity in their in their companies and i i think I think any company who is looking for the best people is going to end up with diversity naturally because best people are going to come from everywhere. And as soon as a company zeroes in on a, a, certain, a certain type of person that they need, I mean, they're eliminating a lot of options. And so it's very consistent that the companies that grow just organically have that. Um, and it, it becomes part of the culture. And I would, I would assume with Nickel Bros, it is about looking for the, the right people and the best people, and you end up with, with ver a very diverse group. I think th this is gonna kind of go back to something that you said at the very beginning, but you mentioned that the industrial sector seems to be one of the only, um, kind of set, one of the only sectors that has families that continue to own and operate the businesses for multiple generations. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of linked to finding the right people in that yes. the industrial sector is really one where if you're not passionate about it and if you don't love it, you're not going to last in it for very long. That's just kind of the way it is because it demands so much of you, both time-wise and learning-wise and problem-solving-wise. Like You need to be in it and kind of on all of the time because you could... Your team could need something, you know, in the middle of the night, your team is going to need things on weekends. It's it's not a Monday to Friday, nine to five type of industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's probably one of the reasons that the companies that grow have to have the right people, like you said, because one, if, if you're not the right type of person, you're not going to last anyway, because you're no. not going to enjoy it and you're not going to have that drive to make things work and to make them work well that you need because it is such a detail-oriented detail-oriented industry. I feel like I'm using and, the same words over and over again. And very high <laughs> and very high stakes. Yeah, it's very very, very high I mean, stakes. What, the work you're doing is I mean it's I mean it's dangerous work. <laughs> These are big heavy moves. Like there's no way around that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I think those things kind of go hand in hand. That's why the people that have been in it stay in it. Right. Like yeah. we have employees that have worked with us for 30 years and it's because that's their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, do, do you think that there's a way to to or or that Nickel Brothers 
uh, um, sees something before they hire someone, how do you know that they're going to love it, that they're going to last? Do you think that there's a way of, of knowing that? Um, I've heard that our president, Jeremy Nickel, is very good at finding that just through gut feeling. Mm. Um, he's he's a very big believer in first impressions so i, I should probably ask him what what his first impression <laughs> is of people that seem to have that drive but um he's generally very good at just picking up people within like you know seven to ten seconds yeah this person's gonna work or this person won't and he's, he's right. most always like spot on um but i think we've also had a lot of people that have joined the company and kind of less traditional ways um yeah. you know like for instance like i was a contractor who ended up working full-time our cfo was a contractor who ended up coming on full-time mm. um our estimator was an intern who ended up coming on full-time i think a few of our our crew members they they started off with us as laborers and you know would kind of and then and then left to have their their wonderful office crews and came back because it just wasn't you know, as exciting and as, as fulfilling as what they were doing um, with the residential and industrial moving. So I think, I think a lot of it is just once people have tried it, they, right. they come back or they see it and they know. And I think some of it is just trusting that when people say like, I'm in this, then, then they're in it because they know the stakes and you know, once at least once they've had a couple of weeks to try it out, I find it not, usually only takes like two weeks for people to decide <laughs> if it's what they want or not. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. usually pretty quick. And if, if after two weeks, it's still what they want, you, you know, it's what they want because, you know, after it, yeah. after it's just so demanding that after two weeks, right, you know, yeah. you just yeah. know. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. There's a lot of jobs that actually are not, cannot be that clear because they're, they're more of a step-by-step -step process job, whereas they're not quite as demanding. So you might actually go a few months before you realize that the person really isn't either into it or very capable of it. And, you know, but in that, I'm sure <laughs> when you're moving a house, I'm sure you can tell very quick <laughs> if somebody <laughs> knows what they're doing. Um, how long were you, how long were you uh, a contractor before you switched over to actually joining their team? Um, I was a contractor for almost six months. So I just did like their social media marketing yeah. basically. Um, and then one day I, well, I started working with them as a contractor actually, because I saw one of, I just saw a house on the side of a highway and I was like, well, that's really cool. That would be a neat thing to, to promote. Yeah. So I sent them an email <laughs> and, um, I met with their, their business development, uh, manager at the time. And he ended up bringing me on as to do their social media. And about six months in, they, they had started inviting me to their, to their team building activities and, and really kind of involving me um, within, within the staff pool. So I got to know everyone and I really got to know what they were doing. And it was just, it was just such a great place to work. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those environments where no one really just has one job. Everyone does a little bit of everything, yeah. but we, it makes it really collaborative. And that's something that you don't always have when you're self-employed. Um, so for me, it was just, it was so refreshing to have people that I could rely on and that I could get feedback from. And, um, so I ended up again, just sending an email saying, you know, Hey, like, I would really love to be doing more for you. Let me know if there's ever an opportunity for that to happen. And uh, I think about a month later, um, I came on full time and it's, it's been awesome, but it's funny cause I was originally hired as the marketing manager 
And since then, I've started doing hiring and business development. Um, I head the government relations team. I do our PR. I do our public speaking at different events. So it's it's really not a business, I don't think, where you can go into it focusing on one thing. Um, but if you're someone who wants to learn and, and kind of expand your, your skill sets, it's, it's a really great industry to be a part of because there's so many different things that are necessary to make these projects happen and to build those client relationships. Um, so yeah, it's been a really interesting, interesting like year and a half. (laughs) I definitely find that that's quite important to have, um, kind of a variety in your job. Um, I find when I, when I speak to a lot of people, I find that those who are um, doing a specific job and that's kind of all they do every day kind of becomes maybe not boring but just kind of like you know there's nothing more they're like oh it's the same thing over and over again so for me I definitely find that the more even if it's technically not your job <laughs> but the more you get to do I mean the more you learn um, and then you're it doesn't matter what position you're put in because you kind of you've built your skills for that right yeah, and, and at the very least, if, if there are some skills that you're lacking, you know there are other people on your team that you can go to to teach you exactly. or mentor you, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, um, you know, and I will, I will say you know, as we wrap up the show, um, I, you know, when we, we ask guests to come on the show, um, you know, if we talk to an owner or, um, you know, somebody who basically doesn't, j- j- can just make the call, we... Uh, it's usually a very simple process to get people on, or it's a quick no. They don't. They don't want to be on like an hour on camera. They're just like, no way. There's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> but I, I noticed, and it stood out for me with your team when we when we originally started the discussion, that there was a willingness to get more information. And I, I always, as soon as I run into a company where whoever's representing them, in this case, initially it was you, that it says something about the whole ownership group, the whole team when the person that is on the front line at that particular time is fully engaged. And, and I, it, without even, I've, I've never met the owners of Nickel Brothers. I, I, don't, I don't even know what they look like, to be honest. But it says something about who they are, that those are the people that they have that are communicating with companies like ours. And it just, it's, it's sort of a nod to them that they have a team like that in place. Thank you. Yeah, I um, think when I... <laughs> I was going to say, it was interesting, um, too, for this show, because because we're covering such a wide variety of things, there were like mm-hmm. four of us that could have been appropriate <laughs> for it. And I think yes. you were involved in those conversations. So we, we had some some discussions trying to figure out, like, who was the best person to actually take on everything. And I think it kind of came <laughs> down to me just being the most comfortable on camera. But <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, half, that's half the battle. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, thank you very much for coming on, Cassidy, and, and thank you to Nickel Bros for, for, for having you represent, represent their company and the, and the movie industry. Everybody that comes on this show, they do represent a segment of the industry that we're trying to educate people in. And especially in this time, a lot of people now are working from home. Um, you know, and they, they, they say uh, social distancing, and Social distancing cannot be a huge gap from social isolation. Um, so, you know, we, we aren't doing anything compared to the people that are on the front lines. 
but it's it's our little contribution to be able to keep everybody connected and talking and something to listen to from their actual industry as opposed to just the news who is also doing a great job of covering this but you need you need a little variety in what you hear um, yes. So, you know, I, I, I really genuinely appreciate you taking the time and coming on, and, and especially during the circumstances. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> okay, we are going to wrap up the, the show now. Uh, thank you for watching. Um, there'll be a few words from Gaudi at the end of this show to how you can get involved if you want to be a supporter, a sponsor, and a lot of other ways. Again, thank you to Nickel Bros and Cassidy for coming on the show. We will see you. We've got a ton of episodes coming up. Um, with this remote now, we're booking people all over the place. So please subscribe, stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for watching, and please remember to subscribe and follow on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also listen um, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, we are excited to launch the Crownsman Show donation page. If you are a dedicated fan and watch every episode, or you have a favorite industry that you love to follow and would like to help support the production and ongoing shows of The Crownsman Show, please head over to crownsman.com forward slash donations. Uh, we've set up a couple options, and um, the first one is the five buck monthly subscription option, and we have the support heavy industry one-time donation. So, and this is all through PayPal, so please head over, take a look. You can read more um, on the page. Again, it's crownsman.com forward slash donations. Um, uh, other than that, thank you so much for your support. Um, if you do subscribe and you make a donation, you might also get a little shout out from me on the next episode. Thank you.